So I'm gonna read Luke chapter 24. We're gonna look at verses one through 12. Um, if you're there already, will you just like say amen or something? Amen, like are you there? Okay, great. Um, if, if you're not there, it's okay. Just, just listen to me as I read these words. So this is after Jesus has died on the cross, after he's, uh, after he's been buried, all right? So Luke chapter 24, verse one. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, it makes sense, there was a dead guy in there just a couple days ago, and now he's not. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I feel like that was a trick question there. I feel like they were seeking the dead among the dead, and it turns out he was now living. So why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, uh, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to these apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. All right, now there's, there's more to account for what happened after Jesus resurrected. In fact, later on in this chapter, you're gonna see Jesus is like gonna appear to the disciples. All these cool things are gonna happen, but we'll stop there at the tomb being empty and how beautiful that reality is. And this morning, I just wanna explore kind of two tensions that I feel when I think about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to assume that some of you, if not most of you, have felt them before. If not, you'll just hear me talk about the tensions I feel, and we'll just like empathize a little bit, all right? And then we're going to talk about the implications if Jesus actually rose, all right? So two things, two tensions I feel. One, one tension I feel if you're taking notes is wrestling with the history of this, wrestling with history, like actual historical accounts of the life of Jesus and then two, being a witness of witnesses and how annoying that can be. And I'll elaborate later, all right? And then we'll get into the implications. If Jesus is alive, what that means for you here in this room on Sunday morning, April 1st, right here, right now, all right? We good? Give me some head nods. We're here. Yeah, let's go. That was a good head nod. That was a lot. It looked like I was like rapping and we were at a concert together, okay? Um, but that is not what's happening as much as I would love that. All right. Before I get into the tensions, hold on, I gotta fix my mic. I don't wanna do this this whole time. Hold on one second. Oh, that's so much better. Gosh, I was gonna mess with that the whole teaching. All right, I wanna read a verse out of 1 Corinthians 15, 14 before we start talking about the tensions of the resurrection, okay? Paul's talking, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Listen to this again. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, hey, if there's any temptation for you to believe that the story of Christ's resurrection is some fairy tale that's to help you cope with the difficulties of this life and just make life a little easier to get through, please know this, this is a ginormous waste of time, okay? If this is just some like fun belief that makes things easier to experience, this is in vain. What I'm doing, I'm an insane person talking about insane things. You're insane people for being here. Like, don't be, don't be like, don't be fooled. Uh, don't, don't be tempted to believe, oh, like, I don't really know if it happened, but it just helps me kind of process life. The, the story of the resurrection of Jesus is based upon an actual human being dying, staying actually dead, and then actually by the power of the Spirit of God, resurrecting, showing up again in the same body, same flesh, alive again. Okay, that's the resurrection, all right? It's like, no, it actually happened. So today we're talking about a real resurrection of a real human who is also God. Pretty crazy stuff there. We can talk about that later, and I'll get lost with you, all right? So let's talk about these tensions. One, wrestling with history. So, and also if you want to get sources from all this, I don't really cite a lot, my fault. We can email each other after this, all right? But typically there's an overall consensus with historians about Jesus, who Jesus was, all right? People pretty much agree on three things, maybe four. One, maybe four, four. Jesus was real. Jesus of Nazareth was a dude that existed 2,000 years ago. That's for real, that's legit. Everyone's like, yes, I'm down for that, all right? Two, this Jesus of Nazareth led some sort of ministry based on love and peace, all right? He had some sort of following 2,000 years ago. Three, this Jesus of Nazareth was legitimately crucified by the Romans. That happened. Like, they killed that man, okay? Four, three days later, something went down. That's where we get all the debates, right? That's where Christianity didn't just take over the world. Some people were like, nah, I don't think he did resurrect. Let's have some theories. We'll talk about those theories in a second, okay? So that's it. History suggests Jesus definitely real, definitely led a ministry, definitely murdered, and something Definitely happened on that third day because his body was nowhere to be found, all right? All right. I want you to hear this quote from, uh, from a Muslim author and scholar named Reza Aslan. I want to say Aslan because I'm Southern, but it's like Aslan. It's much prettier than what I would say. I want you to hear this quote as he's talking about Jesus and his potential resurrection, okay? The disciples faced a profound test of their faith after Jesus' death. The crucifixion marked the end of their dream of overturning the existing system, of reconstituting the 12 tribes of Israel and ruling over them in God's name. The Roman occupation is not going to be overthrown, and as with the followers of every other Messiah the empire had killed, there was nothing left for, for Jesus' disciples to do but abandon their cause, renounce their revolutionary activities, and return to their farms and villages. Then, something happened. Wonder what it was. What exactly that something was is impossible to know. Jesus' resurrection is an exceedingly difficult topic for the historian to discuss, not least because it falls outside the scope of any examination of the historical Jesus. Obviously, the notion of a man dying a gruesome death and returning to life three days later defies all logic, reason, and sense. Now, one could simply stop the argument there, 
dismiss the resurrection as a lie and declare belief in the risen Jesus to be the product of a very deludable mind. However, there is this nagging fact to consider. One after another of those who claim to have witnessed the the risen Jesus went to their own gruesome deaths, refusing to recant their testimony. However, there's this nagging fact to consider. One after another, those who claim to have witnessed the risen Jesus went to their own gruesome deaths, refusing to recant their testimony, all right? Now, typically, there's three theories, and I'm not gonna dig into them right now. We can talk about them later, okay? Other than Jesus resurrecting, historians go, man, there's three things that probably happened here, okay? One, he didn't really die. He was in a coma. The professionals that were checking if he was dead, they messed that up. He got buried. He was good. He woke up from his nap a couple days later, showed back up, all right? That's what happened. I, I'm not, I, that's, a, that's a legitimate argument. I'm not trying to like, be like, clearly that's wrong. Um, but I'm just saying, that's what happened. All right. Secondly, they didn't know where they buried him. They misplaced it. They buried him a couple days later. Where's Jesus? Not sure. Let's just say he resurrected. That's, that's another belief, right? <laughs> thirdly, uh, thirdly, there's this belief that the disciples stole the body and then discarded it somewhere and said, Jesus resurrected. Those are, those are the three, typically the main theories you're going to hear. The fourth, and I don't want to show my hand here on which one I believe, all right? The fourth is that Jesus, who over and over again said, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to resurrect because I'm the son of God. He actually died. And three days later, because he's the son of God, he in fact resurrected. All right. So those are your kind of your four typical theories that you get to choose from. And I think this is important because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I want you to understand that history itself does have to wrestle with what happened to Jesus. This isn't some mythological-like story that was made up. Jesus really lived, okay? That's a real thing. That's fact. He really did die, and something really did happen. And historians are still debating to this day what could have happened to Jesus, okay? I think that's important. The second tension that I feel when I think about Jesus resurrecting is the annoying and aggravating circumstance of being a witness of witnesses, all right? To me, this is awful. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I hate the fact that I didn't get to see and feel and touch Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, I think in John says something like, hey, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna give you my spirit. It's better that I leave so I can give you my spirit. I'm like, Jesus, it's not better that you leave. It's better that we get lunch at Baja and we talk about what it means that you're the son of God. And so we can, let's team up, let's strategize. They don't need to see you, I need to see you so we can go and we can reach the nations, right? But Jesus says, it's better, right? But the human in me, the fleshly part of me goes, no, Jesus, it's better that I'm a witness, right? Because there's nothing worse than being a witness of the witnesses, right? A couple of stories came to my mind. I thought about like in eighth grade, I don't know if you did this in middle school, me and all my friends, we get together and talk about ghost stories, right? When you're in seventh or eighth grade, you've always seen a ghost, typically. I wasn't one of them, but most people have, okay? I'm like, oh, I'm the one person that hasn't seen a ghost. Cool. All right, deal. I remember sitting in a circle, this girl being like, man, saw a ghost in my attic. There was a mirror, looked in the mirror, saw a face, it was a ghost. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And I'm not here to debate whether ghosts are real. Respect your beliefs. But I just remember being like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. But internally being like, that was not a ghost. I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. Therefore, I cannot know that to be true, right? When you hear stories that are too crazy, you typically typically come to the solution of, that was just too crazy, right? Or, now we got kids here, so I'm gonna be vague. We have this story of this mythological figure who may travel long distances once a year to leave nice things for younger people. Do we know who I'm, all right. And we learn 
from a young age that some things really are just too good to be true, right? It's like, and, and my bad for my college students that never got that talk yet. It's actually true. Anyway, so look, but we just kind of learn. We learn from a young age. If something's too fantastic, too crazy, we just can't really believe it, right? It's hard to be a witness of witnesses. People saying, no, I promise it's true. You haven't seen it. You haven't experienced it, but it's true. Until, until you see fruit or evidence of that person's life that convinces you maybe they're actually onto something, all right? Now, I'm a big fan of giving mediocre examples of a, of a really important truth. So here's a mediocre example, okay? For a while, I had heard of the power of essential oils. <laughs> Love essential oils. Shout out my EO gang. I call them EOs, essential oils. I stopped calling them that 10 seconds ago. And, uh, but I had heard that these EOs are like, nope. <laughs> these, these essential oils are like these crazy, like, Plants all just smushed, compact, concentrated in these little bottles. And if you got like allergies, you just rub them on your neck, let them diffuse up your nose, you know, and you'll just be breathing clear. If you got back pain or if you got like digestive problems, you can just rub them on your belly and you're good. I'm like, all right, chill out, all right? That's my eighth grade ghost story all over again. I heard about this stuff, I don't believe it, right? Until someone who testified of that, and you know they got all the drainage, all the allergy problems for the past few years, they come up into the office just sounding so clean and clear. And they're just like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, you sound different. You're not doing the thing anymore. What's going on? Essential oils. I'm like, oh, shoot. Is that real? Now, listen, that's kind of what it's like to be a witness of witnesses, right? You told me about it, and now I'm seeing some fruit in your life. It's a bad example, but we're going to rock with it, all right? Now, I'm not going to tell you the ending of my story with essential oils. I'm not going to tell you that I'm now a family member of doTERRA, that I use them every day that there is a stain on my pants this morning from trying to make an essential oil mix and one dropped right here. It's really good. It's to help my allergies and I'm clean and clear. I had a diffuser last night. It doesn't matter. That's not what I'm, this is not about essential oils, all right? But that's what happened. But that's the tension, right, of being a witness of witnesses. It's hard when people tell us, no, I'm telling you this thing is true, but I haven't seen it. So the reason we're looking at the resurrection story in the book of Luke is because Luke's story is actually somewhat like this. I didn't realize this, but Luke's actually kind of relatable. Luke was not a disciple of Jesus. He was actually a disciple of the apostle Paul, all right? So Paul came after the life of Jesus. Jesus resurrects, appears to many, he ascends to the heavens, and he reappears to Paul. At the time, Paul wasn't a believer. He comes to believe in Jesus. Once Paul believes in Jesus, he starts planting churches everywhere. He starts preaching the gospel, sees salvation, and he meets Luke. Luke comes to know God interesting thing about Luke. He never sees Jesus. He never saw Jesus resurrected. He only had the account of witnesses. What's amazing about Luke is he traveled with Paul on a lot of his journeys. He watched Paul get beaten, imprisoned. He watched the disciples preach boldly despite all the threats. And Luke said, even though, I'm imagining Luke had this kind of a moment, even though I didn't see Jesus for myself, you know, 1 John says, we touched, we beheld Jesus. Even though Luke couldn't say that. He couldn't say he touched Jesus, that he walked with Jesus. What he could say was, I walked with people that told me they saw Jesus. And though I never saw them, though I never saw Jesus, what I saw from them was enough to convince me they have something real, right? What I love about Luke, and I didn't know this until like this week, was that I'm a lot like him. Luke had to make this leap, though I never saw Jesus, 
Though I never saw him resurrected, though I never saw a miracle of Jesus, all I had was stories. The fruit he saw of the disciples and the apostle Paul was enough for him to write this letter to a Roman official, I believe, at risk of death. And tradition speaks of him being a martyr. There's different uh, stories of how he died. He was either hung or decapitated, but it was for the faith. When Luke wrote this letter, he was going, I've never seen Jesus. I've heard a lot of stories. And what I've seen is enough to convince me something real has taken place and I can bet my life on it, right? I love that. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I hate being a witness of witnesses. I hate everyone telling me about the goodness of God and what they're experiencing. I'm like, man, I'm with you. And Luke was with you. My hope today is that there can be this invitation to come and see. Like, I don't think you're destined to just be a witness of witnesses, but if you feel that tension, Luke can relate. So we have the tensions of history, the tension of being a witness of witnesses and how kind of annoying that can be at times. But now I want to jump into the implications. If Jesus actually, physically raised from the dead, right? That's why I'm here. That's why a lot of us are here this morning. We have experienced the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus. There are places in our story riddled with brokenness, riddled with regret and shame. And because of the life of Jesus, we now live in this freedom that is actually kind of hard to put words to, but it's because of the real life of Jesus. And I just want to read some implications if Jesus actually raised from the dead. It means that there is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus, all right? There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus. It means that Jesus is actually the Son of God, and that John 3.16 is super powerful, that God actually loves the world, and he loved it so much that he sent his only Son that whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life. It means that Jesus actually came, and that one day he will actually set all things right, that this is not the final say that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that all the things you're experiencing now, this is not the end. It means that Jesus is alive right now. And in Matthew 6, when he prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that he is inviting us to participate in allowing heaven to come to earth, that he's inviting us to be a part of that. It means that we're in Luke 24, uh, it's in verse 49, where he says, behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, It means that God's spirit right here, right now, is legitimately available to you, that you can walk with God, that you can be in relationship with God. It means that Jesus actually will come back again. Just like the disciples, he said, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect, though. I'll meet you in Galilee. He's telling us, hey, I'm coming back, and I will set all things right. Like, you will answer to me later on. I will be back. It means that the truest life only comes through Jesus. It means that right here, right now, you have a legitimate invitation to be a part of God's actual family, to experience freedom and forgiveness in a broken world, in a fallen place where death and sickness and anxiety and insecurity and brokenness is prevailing, that there is actually hope right now and forever. It means that you can know true life with the Father and it's completely free. Jesus did what he said he would do. And he will continue to do what he promised. It means that the story of the prodigal son is our story. That you can't possibly outrun the good grace of God. That there is no limit to your sin. Like you can do as much as you want, but God's grace will always be available to you. 
that is forever an invitation in a world that is marked by our works, if we're good enough or bad enough, like Jesus says, at all times, my arms are open to you. It means that God is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us has made us alive together with Jesus, that by grace you can be saved, not anything you can earn, but it's a complete free gift from God. And so this morning, when we come together and we celebrate resurrection life, we celebrate that Jesus was alive. What we are celebrating is that Jesus made a way for us to know God, a perfect God, a holy God. Do you ever enter into the presence of someone that you think is better than you and you immediately feel insecure? Like, and I'm just like, oh man, he's so talented. He's so like vibrant, he's such a good speaker, all these things. I feel like I gotta kind of earn my way. Like, hey man, I'm just, just happy to even meet you, right? A perfect and holy God has made a way for us to be in close communion with him. No questions asked, no guest list, no, oh, you barely made it in. Like, no, Ephesians says you can be seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. God welcomes you in, VIP access, all the royalty, all the perfection, all the power in the world. You are invited in to know God right here, right now. That is the promise of the resurrection. And as much as I can't stand the tension of being a witness of witnesses, I don't believe we're destined to be that. I believe that God has promised his spirit to anyone who believes in Jesus, that God does not desire for you to stand at a distance and believe some distant belief over there, that God says, no, come here, come and see. I will walk with you. I will be with you. You will experience the goodness of God. You know, in John 1, 46 and 47, there's these two dudes, Nathan and uh, and, uh, Nathaniel and Philip. And uh, I can't remember who's saying what. I think it's Nathaniel. Nathaniel's like, or Philip's like, hey, you got to come see Jesus. And Nathaniel's like, man, nothing ever good came out of Nazareth. And Philip says, come and see. There's only so much I can describe with my words. You just got to come and experience it. And so if you're here today and you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I just want to invite you to come and see, to come and be a part in two ways, all right? Because I think some people are here today and the Holy Spirit is ministering to your heart and is going, I'm real, I'm here, I want relationship. And you're like, I'm ready to come to faith. And so if if that's you, if you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to start following Jesus this morning, you can meet me at the respond banner in the back. We're going to have a pastoral team. We can pray over you. We can walk with you through that. Or you might be here going, I'm not quite ready to just go all in, but I'm interested in next steps. All right. There was someone I walked with uh, a year ago, this atheist guy, didn't believe in God in a, in a hard spot, was like, look, I don't know about God, but I'm just, I'm just testing the waters. And I said, all right, come on. Part of my house church, we rocked together for a few months, came to follow Jesus, incredible story. That might be where you're at in the journey. I'm not ready to make a big faith step, but I wanna just kinda like test the waters a little bit. So if that's you and you wanna start following Jesus, like coming and seeing, testing it out, come back to Respond Better, talk to me. I'd love to give you some on-ramps into what it looks like to be a part of this community and to just start seeing the witnesses that have beheld the goodness of God. And if you're here today and you already know Jesus, Man, I hope you're encouraged today and reminded of the power of the story and that we're not just worshiping some far off distant idea, that Jesus was a real person who really came and he really died and he really resurrected and he has freed us now and forevermore. So we're going to go into communion together as a church to celebrate this reality that Jesus is alive. And so if if you're new here and you've never done communion, let me just, just talk you through that really quick. So communion, we have this bread and this juice. Uh, and it's symbolic. So 
Jesus said, take the bread, bread, remember that my body was broken for you. When we take the bread, we remember that God did not stand at a distance, but that he became flesh for us. So we take that remembering, God, you come near. I don't have to find you, you found me. And when we take the juice, we remember that Jesus shed his blood, that he paid a real penalty, that we could enter into the perfect presence of a holy God and be free and be covered because of Jesus' life. So that's how we take communion here. Anyone and everyone is invited. And again, if you need prayer, want to talk about this further, we'll be back at the Respond Banner. We'll have some pastoral team there. You'll see them. Um, we would love to partner with you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll invite us to stand up. I'll dismiss us to communion, and uh, we'll go from there. God, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your story. Thank you for the redemption you offer. Thank you, God, that this is real, that you're present. I pray for steps of courage this morning. God, I pray that, uh, yeah, I just pray for people to just go for it this morning. God, to to commune with you, to follow you, to chase after you, Lord. Uh, We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.